Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am your host, Charles Musgrove of the Answers That Count podcast. Thank you for joining us for another great show. And we're going to bring you some other, some more great information today. We're going to talk about current economic times, what's going on in the markets, what's going on in the economy. We're seeing it. The restaurants we go to, the grocery stores we go to, we're going to talk inflation. But before we jump into that, I'm going to ask a favor of you. Please hit the subscribe button. That way more people will get notified. They'll see the 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 podcast that we put out. So please hit the subscribe button. You can also hit the notification button. That way when we post something, you'll you'll be notified to go watch the video so or listen to the podcast. So hit subscribe and notify. And today we've got Professor Joe back with us today. Thank you again, Professor Joe. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to talk. This is good stuff. You know, one of the good things about I enjoy about our show is that we really uh, I think we bring some great information. We make the discussion about economics, I think, lively and relevant because it is uh, a lot of people think of economics as boring and they're talking about statistics and numbers and macro and micro. And, you know, those things, they, they may sound uh, boring and not fun, but what we do is we bring it to life because we apply what could be old principles, uh, tried and true principles. We we apply it to what's happening in the news today. We we you can open up your newspaper, you can go to the grocery store and feel the effects of of this economic stuff, and we bring it to life. We explain it in in terms that I think every I can understand it, and I think everybody else can understand that as well. So. Uh, thank you for bringing economics to life, Professor Joe. Yeah, well, thanks. Well, just like the laws of nature, gravity and things like that, we're subjected to the laws of economics every day. People are impacted by economics every single day of their life. And that's part of the reason I love it so much is because it is so relevant. All you got to do is look out your window and a lot of times just look in the mirror and you're doing economics every day. Exactly. And and uh, heck, when you get in your car, when you go fill up at the gas station, when you go to drive to the grocery store, we feel the the effect of economics too. And one of the big things that, that we, when I mentioned filling up with gas and going to the grocery store, going to your restaurant, we're seeing today and what we see in the news is this uh, discussion of inflation. So we've, we've had talks about, we've discussed that in the past and, and we've applied it to uh, data that has been that has come out. You know, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about the the non-farm payroll and about unemployment and about how many people were employed the the workforce. So, another another great uh, topic that we've talked about and and that's real life economics is 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 the inflation. So let's talk about inflation. Yeah, inflation is one of the two so-called evils of macroeconomics. Uh, when I tell my students about uh, macroeconomics, I, I say that, you know, there's two problems we need to worry about, uh, inflation and unemployment. Those are the so, so-called evils, two things that a little bit is okay, maybe even desirable, but like many things, too much of a good thing is bad. So when either one of those start to get above what we call normal or sustainable levels, now we have some problems and we've got some consequences that everyday people have to start dealing with. And yeah, the, the numbers that just came out the other day about the inflation rate hitting uh, high since 2008, uh, that's got some uh, some good news and some very bad news in there. So let's see if we can unravel this a little bit. The, the good news is, is 
a lot of that inflation is coming from just a few sectors of the economy. So uh, we see a, a huge increase in uh, car prices, especially used cars, because a lot of new car production has been halted because of computer chip problems. You haven't been able to get as many chips as we're trying to make cars. So we literally have a whole bunch of unfinished cars just sitting around, which is then going to shift consumer demand from new car to used car. So we've seen two months in a row now, huge increases in used car prices. Uh, we've also seen increases in rental cars and airlines and energy. So it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out when you drive by the pump, it seems like every day the number gets bigger. Yeah. So now that is bad news. I mean, if you're trying to buy a car, if you're trying to rent a car, if you're trying to fill up your car, then that's, that's bad news for you. Uh, also airlines, and you needed to mention airlines. But on the, on the good side of things, if you're not trying to buy or rent a car, and if you're not flying on an airplane, then you can actually, uh, you know, walk away from a little bit of the inflation. Or to say that differently, this inflation isn't going to hit you quite as hard as if you were in those markets. Right. Now, obviously, if you have a car and, and it's and it's driving really well, it's still going to cost you a little bit more to put some gas in there. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, you know that that's fairly tolerable. So we don't have this five percent every price in America is going up. That's not what the inflation index means. The inflation comes from a variety of different sectors. So we need people to realize that as well. Yeah, let's, let's uh, you know, we talked about the headlines. Let's, let's put up a couple of those headlines. Uh, let's go to the inflation headlines, John. Annual inflation soars to 5%. So you mentioned the largest jump since 2008, and we got one more headline. So these are these are U.S. inflation's highest in 13 years. So we see that we've we've talked about it. We've 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 discussed it before it happened, and and the fear of inflation. And and you know you had the the Fed talking that talking about inflation wasn't wasn't a concern. At some point, it becomes a concern. And you know we've used terms like is it is it overheating? Are we are we getting too much inflation? And uh, just like you said, too much of a good thing is is not good. So, yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind is is the the historical precedent here. It's it's one thing to say, yeah, highest in 13 years, but let, let's remind ourselves what happened 13 years ago. The inflation rate peaked in 2008. I forget the exact month, but it was relatively late in 2008. And then what happened immediately thereafter? Well, that's when the Great Recession really right. unfolded. That was the financial. Uh, that's market when the housing market burst, and that's when we had all kinds of chaos. So. You know, there is reason to believe that inflation was going up on a, on a very consistent basis and it would have kept going up, but the, the recession unfolded and the inflation rate came right down, which it normally does during the recession. Uh, so there's really no strong signals that we're going to enter a recession. So part of the concern right now is Unlike 2008, when that recession was was cut off, or excuse me, the inflation was cut off a little bit, we don't really seem to believe that there's a recession around the corner. So it's likely that inflation is going to continue for a while. Now, the other thing we need to keep in mind is not historical, but what's going on right now. The way I like to, to create analogy for people is we're coming out of a recession. We're not officially in a recession right now. We're in a recovery period. And just like when you personally get sick 
you don't get well in an instant. I mean, you're not sick one day and then the next morning you wake up, you know, like I'm 100%, I'm back to normal. Well, our economy right now is healing itself. And we've got a lot of moving pieces in our economy and some are adjusting rather slowly. You know, we see massive supply chain blocks in areas like um, uh, lumber, and uh, automobile production that I mentioned before. So we're having this very difficult time readjusting after the pandemic. Now, I know the pandemic's not officially over, but you know we're, we're getting close to it being over. So we've got a lot of adjustments going on right now, and it's going to take a while for things to settle. Now, that doesn't mean we can just you know throw away all of our worries and say, oh, it's all going to be fine. I mean, there, there is true concern here. But, you know, we do have to recognize that we're in this very difficult adjustment process and we need to let some things play out. Right. And one thing that and we've talked about this before, but it's worth bringing up again, the relationship between the employment market and inflation and we and the flooding of the dollar of the amount of dollars by the federal government into the economy. All that is some of those are signs of of what's happened, like the. We still have so many people that are that are not entered into the workforce. So our working our workforce pool is still low relative to other other times in recent history. And uh, with the the amount of money that the federal government has put into the economy, all of that says, okay, maybe maybe the incentives are not in the right place. Maybe there's too many dollars in the market that's chasing too too few goods, which is uh, kind of a the layman's definition of inflation. So until some of those things change, we're not going to see that inflation slow down. Probably not. Uh, I, I think it's going to take several more months for things to kind of settle for some of these supply blockages to get unblocked for the labor market to settle a little bit and uh, for people to continue to readjust from their pandemic way of doing things to a non-pandemic way of doing things. You know, we still have a lot of adjustments there with just everyday decisions. I I know uh, a lot of people that I know are in this very awkward period of time where they were at home 100% and now they're being asked to come back. Well, it's kind of awkward timing because they've got young kids at home. And they've been used to caring for their young children. And now their boss is saying, hey, you got to come back in. They're like, well, I'm not sure what to do with my kids because I haven't been able to plan in advance. A lot of summer camps still aren't happening. So, you know, what a lot of parents used to do was enroll their kids in a bunch of summer camps uh, to keep them occupied. And then they would go to work. Well, some of those camps are going on, but a lot of them aren't because of the pandemic. So parents are really caught uh, in this difficult position. So, um, you know, again, we've got a lot of adjustments going on here. Uh, they're going to just cause this whole process to probably be slower than what it normally would be. Right. Plus, you know, that back to the correlation between what we're seeing in inflation and and the employment numbers. And you also see another tie in there is the a lot of the states have mandated minimum wage increases. And you see a lot of big companies, they're moving to going ahead and and bumping up minimum wage uh, before the mandated increase and and one of the one of the news headlines we saw come out this week was Chipotle so Chipotle agrees to raise all of their minimum wages to fifteen dollars per hour so you know what happens when you do that well they have to increase their prices to cover 
uh, the cost of that minimum wage increase. And all of that is um, you got the, the increases in cost, increases in what they pass on to the consumer. All of that is, is also kind of a, a um, I would say, a micro look at the result of inflation. Yeah, it's it, it, part of what's going on as as individual prices adjust across markets uh, that will lead to certain price increases. So, yes, we're seeing this in the restaurant industry where if you are going to raise wages, but yet still want to maintain some kind of profit level, well, you need to raise your revenue in, in a similar proportion. It doesn't have to be exactly one for one. Uh, but if your costs go up, and your revenue stay the same, well, then your profit margin gets squeezed or maybe goes negative. So therefore, if you want to maintain a reasonable profit level, you've got to raise your revenue. And how do you raise revenue? We either sell more things at the old prices, which is kind of hard to do sometimes, or you have to raise prices to sell the same number of things as you did before, but at higher prices. So there's two different ways, you know, price times quantity is your revenue. So either one or both of those have to raise if the whole equation is uh, needed to raise. Right. I, I saw this and uh, <clears throat> John flash up the detail of uh, what was in one of the articles. This uh, the guy that wrote the article. I know he's not an economist, but I'll, I'll let you be the judge since you are the economist. How how accurate is this description? Basic economics doesn't change because a political movement wants it to. It's a finite world with finite resources. And when you move one number, it affects other numbers. This simple rule of economics cannot be overcome. In order to put more money into one thing, you first have to give it up. And in order to balance the sheets, more money has to come in from somewhere to compensate. Yeah, again, just like the laws of gravity, there are certain laws of economics that we can't get away from. Supply and demand, when the price goes up or something becomes more expensive or more uh, requires more effort or energy, people are going to do less of it. So we have these basic, we call them the laws of demand and supply for a reason, because right. we all have to abide by them. I mean, you just can't wave your fingers and say, well, we're just going to get rid of that wage and just artificially make it higher. And then no other changes will happen in that market or in the economy. It just doesn't work like that. Right. I mean, you just can't go out to your backyard and say, you know, I'm just going to wave my hands and make it rain. I mean, there's there are certain forces of nature and for certain forces of economics uh, that we just have to adhere to. And, and you know, as as much as we would like to live in a world where we can just make believe and we can maybe live in a Hollywood world where we just make it happen. We can just give people raises without any consequences. That's not the world we live in. True. So, you know, as I think Chipotle and we've seen other large companies, they they they're ahead of the curve on giving those raises and they're able to get away with a lot of those because they are big companies. Uh, as you see the the state mandates come into play in these in different states, then states are going to be forced, businesses are going to be forced to increase minimum wages. So you're going to see more of this rather than less of less of it. Oh, absolutely. You're going to see more of this because, uh, like you said, more and more local governments, state governments are increasing these wages. And even if it doesn't come from government, just like the Chipotle example, a lot of businesses are taking upon themselves to get ahead of the curve, so to speak. They see that this legislation is probably coming they, they're trying to uh, to get ahead of it and say, you know what, let's just, if it's going to happen, let's just go ahead and do it ourselves now 
So they're doing it for a variety of different reasons, and consumers are absolutely going to pay for some of that. Right. And we had there's there's one other um, display I want to put up, John. You go to the this is this is this is an older older survey, but it's a survey of economists. I think there was close to a 200 economists that were surveyed, and this w- this was back when the a lot of the the federal legislation to raise minimum wage was was discussed. And the question was, should the federal government increase the minimum wage to $15 per hour? And the the answer to that was 74% of those uh, responded no, that they should not. And and, uh, give me your thoughts on that. You know, I can think of the reasons they do that is, or the reasons the, the economists gave that answer is because Maybe it violates so many of the fundamentals of. Each. So, Joe, a lot of these states that they have mandated increases in minimum wage. So, what what's your what, we, here we see where the the uh, the polling for close to two hundred economists said they don't agree with the mandated minimum wage at least on a federal level up to fifteen dollars per hour. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, I have, I have two thoughts, two predominant thoughts. Number one, the minimum wage is really just a trade off. You have to recognize that by artificially raising a wage above what we call an equilibrium wage, and I'll get to that in a second, is a trade-off in this in this sense. You are helping the people who keep their job and keep the number of hours. There's no question about that. When somebody goes from $10 an hour to $15 an hour and they keep their normal number of hours, that, that's going to give them a bigger paycheck. They're absolutely better off. What you have to recognize, though, is that the trade-off that either some people lose some hours, so their their total paycheck is not going to be helped, or what is most likely to happen, the trade-off is other people aren't going to have jobs. So it's going to create more unemployment because the employer says, I I just can't afford to hire three people. I can only hire one or two. So now we've got one or two people who would have had a job at eight or $9 an hour who aren't going to have it. So it's a trade-off. The other thing, and I think this is Uh, A a big thing when you're talking about federal legislation, when anything happens at the federal level, that means every person in the labor market from coast to coast, north to south, is going to get treated the same. And we all know that there are huge differences in our country. Uh, You know, we like to say here, you know, when you're in the south, you know, you do things our way. You know, we got a way of doing things. Well, also, we have an economic way of doing things. You know, we know that when you go to New York City, you're going to pay higher prices than you do in Tallahassee, Florida, right. or an urban center versus a rural place of the country, or one place versus another. So when we pass legislation at the federal level, it is literally one size fits all. Right. And that runs into a lot of problems because one size fits all doesn't work very well. And I would even argue that one size doesn't fit well at the state level. I mean, that's why I was opposed to the state amendment in Florida that slowly increased the minimum wage. Because once again, the labor market in Tallahassee, Florida works differently than the labor market in Miami Beach. Right. In every other place or even rural Leon County versus the city of Tallahassee in Leon County. So we have to be very careful about these one size fits all type of policies because that just doesn't work very well. Doesn't it also, and I know you're a free market type of guy, doesn't that also fly in the face of some other fundamental economic theories where you have this government intervention and 
and we've seen that bef- so many times in the past where on a grander scale where you've had government intervene to try to fix one problem or to drive one solution or to drive one outcome that those that it leaves in the wake are just it, it just creates a, a mess of the other stuff. Well, I think even deeper than an economic issue, to me, it's a moral issue because let's just role play a scenario. Let's suppose that I'm a person who's trying to find a job and I knock on your door and I say, I'm willing to work for $6 an hour. I know what I'm getting myself into. This is a voluntary agreement. I'm willing to give up some salary because I'd rather have six versus zero. Right. And you say, yeah, I'd love to hire you for six. So you and I, as moral economic agents, come to an agreement. But yet the government, whether it's a federal government or local government, says, no, 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 you you can't do that. So it's interfering with our personal decision making, because you may say, yeah, I'd love to hire you at six, but this law requires me to pay you 12 or 15 or whatever the law says. So sorry, I can't do that. And I say, well, sure, I'd be willing to work for 15. And you say, well, I'm sorry, I'm not willing to hire you for 15. Right. So then you and I have to walk away. And to me, that that's a real moral issue in terms of somebody else telling you and I what we can and can't do on a strictly voluntary basis. Yeah, that's a Joe, that's a great point and and uh, one that you don't hear very often, but man, I'll tell you what, that, that really hits home. Yeah, and, and this is really what economics is about. It, it, it's not necessarily a moral science, but there are certain moral aspects of economics. And the most important thing that we like about capitalism and a market approach is that you and I are equal moral agents because we both have the ability to say, no, thank you. If you're offering a service or a product that is uh, either I don't like, I get to walk away. If your price is too high, I get to walk away. I can't be forced to buy and you can't be forced to make me buy or you can't be forced to sell it. That's the beauty of a capitalist system is all participants have that ability to say, no, thank you, and to walk away. And when we interfere with that, not only do we cause economic problems, but again, we cause moral and ethical problems as well. Joe, let's end up on one final point. Um, Give me your thought on the, we've heard this, this is in the real early stage, but we've heard this discussion now on a federal level about uh, universal income or universal basic income, where the government pays a base uh, income to people, whether they're working or not. What, what, how many rules of economics does that violate and what's the likely outcome of that? Well, I think it violates all the moral and economic rules that we talked upon with these other things. So one thing is who's going to pay for that? So if, if you're going to give somebody income to stay at home and not work or only work a little bit, and you're going to have to get somebody else to pay for that. So who's going to pay? Who's who's either going to volunteer to pay for that? Probably not very many people. Right. So who are you going to force? So now what do we have? You're going to extract money from some part of the economy. You're going to take it from some people and you're going to give it to others. Once again, what are the morals? What are the ethics there? And then what are the economic consequences? My biggest concern about any kind of basic income, whatever you want to call it, there's a lot of different names out there, is you have to be very careful not to destroy the incentive to have somebody improve their lot in life. 
because if you give them a basic income that's going to cover all of their required necessities, that's probably as far as they're going to go. Right. And you want to be careful not to destroy the incentive for that person to make themselves better off, to either go get more education, go get more skills, do something better, do something more efficiently, whatever the case is. Our society, both economically and morally, is built upon people responding to incentives. And when people have the incentive to improve themselves, they will. And if you take that incentive away, you're really going to have a lot of problems. Yeah. Great point, man. We took, we cut, we covered a lot of great topics today, stuff that you see in the news. This is basic fundamental economics that we're seeing lived out in front of us. Uh, we feel it in our pocketbook. We see it on the newspaper. We see it in the news, whatever form of news that you take, we see it. It's real. Thank you so much for bringing that to life and explaining it like nobody else can. So professor Joe, another great show. Thank you. Thanks. Great to be here. All right. Good show. Thank you for joining us on another great show of Answers Account. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Hit the subscribe button. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace.